0: Welcome to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. Just before the radio show, uh, two of my kids were mowing around our grain bins and cleaning stuff up around the outside of the grain bins, Brian, and it got me thinking Hey, today's topic is grain bin prep, and I know for our dad, he always said start on the outside, get everything mowed down, kill the weeds around the bins, make sure that there aren't any rodents or or safe places for rodents outside the bin to start with.
1: Yeah, well, I literally just had an agronomist ask me yesterday, how do I kill bugs going into the bin? I'm going. What? How are bugs going into the bin in the first place? Let's kill them out in the field, but I mean, typically we're not seeing bugs when it's going into the bin. But Darren uh, mentioned, just talk about the product real quick that you mentioned that we well, could throw
0: in. I, I know Actelic is one that that had been used for years, and A C
1: T E L L I C. Yes, and,
0: and you say, well, why would you treat grain going into the bin? Isn't it bug free when you start off? It very well could be bug-free and should be bug-free, but let's just say you're putting something in the bin that you say, you know what, I'm going to hold this for a couple years. Maybe the price is just horrible. Like wheat is a great example, and, and not necessarily right now, but over the years, there have been times where the wheat price has been so horrible. Or maybe just you say, the protein's not good, and I need some higher protein wheat to blend it with. And and guys say, well, I'm just going to hold this for yep. probably a couple of years till I get some higher protein stuff. I, and
1: I just talked go. to a farmer yesterday who said, yep, his father-in-law wants to build bins again and hold on to wheat for a couple more couple years or more until the price gets good so yeah that would be an example but here's the number one thing we're going to tell you in terms of grain bin preparation get inside the bin when it's empty and get it in great shape that means no leaks that means no dirt or I mean, any residue from the prior year, that means spraying it inside. I personally prefer a combination of Malathion and Tempo. So I got two different modes of action. You just mix those together, you spray them. And then after you spray, you seal the bin up, you're done until that grain goes in there. So, oh, and also you want to make sure everything's working good. Now's the time to take care of the auger or, I mean, maybe it's just, you need some different flighting or whatever. I'm uh, the the bin fans. Anything that needs to happen with that bin, please take care of it right now, and please make sure you're spraying insecticide in the bin now. And things like Malathion and Tempo are fairly safe for human beings. I mean, I want you to be careful and use personal protective equipment and all that kind of stuff. But literally, if you get rid of the dirt, you seal, you, you make sure you don't have leaks in that bin, and you know, you've taken care of all the past residue and you spray a little insecticide, you're going to have pretty good conditions, and hopefully it remains bug-free all the time. All right, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag here in just a minute. Uh, Before we do, I guess I just want to tell you, too, whenever we're talking about grain bins, safety, safety, safety. Got to be the number one priority. Unfortunately, there are a lot of grain bin accidents, usually people getting trapped in grain. Make sure you are with someone all the time, and do whatever you can Just flat out to stay out of the bin. That's why we're talking today about grain bin preparation. If everything is done right on the upfront side, hopefully you never have to get into that bin when it has grain in it. That's our goal. All right, let's hit the
0: Yag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first question comes from Marty in North Carolina. He said, you guys talk about organic matter mineralization. What nutrients come available from organic matter? And is boron one of them? No. If so, how much boron can you get per year?
1: Okay. If it is, I certainly do not know about that. There may be a tiny amount in there, but if so, I have no data on that. I do know we talk about N, P, and S. So it's nitrogen, phosphate, and sulfur are the three that we always will mention comes out of soil organic matter and comes out every year. So what we usually talk about, at least in our region of the United States, so we farm in Southeast South Dakota, we're usually talking about 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen for each 1% of organic matter. So in other words, let's just say that I had some ground, which we do, fortunately, that has 5% organic matter. That means we're counting on 100 to 150 free pounds of nitrogen every year that comes out of that soil it's awesome. I often will say to people who, who tell me, well, I want to leave this ground in better condition for the next generation. All right, well, if you're serious about that, build your soil organic matter. You build your soil organic matter even 2% over, the, over your entire farming career, which is, by the way, absolutely possible if you set your mind to it. Just think of what that's worth. You get roughly, like I say, 20 to 30 pounds more nitrogen for every 1% of organic matter. 4 to 7 pounds on phosphate, 2 to 3 pounds on sulfur. That's what we figure, again, in our area. The hotter you are, likely the more of each of these nutrients will come out, and the colder you are, the less. So, those are usually the things. And as far as boron goes, it's possible there might be a little trace of boron in there. But if so, like I say, I have no data on that. I've never seen that. I've never found that to be proven. So I wouldn't count on getting any boron out of your soil's organic matter.
0: Okay, get an get a interesting question here from Kirk. And he said, I'm up in Saskatchewan applying Roundup with a drone. We're spraying 2.2 gallons per acre of solution. That includes some LI-700 that we've got. couple of questions. Can I get as good of a results with Roundup at 2.2 gallons as with 5 gallons? Yes. And if I'm adding LI-700, should I also be adding AMS? Yes.
1: But- you're not gonna be able to add AMS in a drone, I don't think. There's not gonna be any agitation, any of that kind of stuff. So you're probably gonna want a different water conditioning agent. The challenge is there are some weeds that are nitrogen sensitive. The reason why we like ammonium sulfate is, for example, water hemp is a nitrogen sensitive weed. And I realize you might tell me, well, Roundup won't kill most of the water hemp anymore. That that may be true. But the the water hemp that is still susceptible to Roundup, it's go, you're going to get a better kill when you have ammonium sulfate in there, in part because of the nitrogen that's in there. So I don't know the whole biology behind it. All I know is I add the AMS, it works better, and it's and it works better than using a a different sequestering agent. So anyway. I'd try to find some other water conditioning agent and throw that in there in addition to the product you're currently using and go from there. But no, I think it should work just fine. Stay tuned, we'll be right back.
0: In his
2: last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a-third of his truck, and a-third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh,
1: Excuse me, I'm I'm a little confused.
2: Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima Fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility.
1: One-third of a dog.
2: Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima Fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions.
3: Combined header loss means loss income. Hi, Greg Sauter from 360 Yield
1: Center. It's common to see a two bushel loss per acre due to header loss. That's over $14 per acre. 360 Yield Saver replacement gathering chains cut header loss by cushioning the ear and by closing the gaps between the deck plates. 360 Yield Saver can cut header loss by 80%, adding $14 per acre. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about a job that many of us still have to get done before harvest. It's grain bin preparation. And there are a lot of things to think about when you're getting that grain bin prepped. You get one shot to do this well. So we're going to talk about some of those things on today's program and also a few things to make your life a little bit easier, we got Tony Wendler on with Farm Shop MFG, and and Tony, one of the the uh, impactful demonstrations at the Ag PhD Field Day this year was in your booth. When I don't know why you would do this, Tony, but you had grain bin fan controls, and you would occasionally shut them off. You can't do that on a hot day. That's brutal. <laughs>
3: well, that was the uh, I would show the people how they were working. And then uh, set it such, and all of a sudden the fan turns off. And guess what? They noticed it was doing something. Oh yeah, <laughs> a lot. Everybody's wondering. Okay, how how long before the fan turns back on?
0: Now <laughs> so, that was a that was a good way to demonstrate how they work and uh, the impact they'll have. Well, you know when you think I about like humidity it. and moisture, I mean that's something you're going to have to deal with around stored grain. And when the humidity levels are ideal, you could potentially put some moisture back into some dry soybeans or when that, when moisture conditions outside are ideal, you could take some moisture out of grain as well, which I'd say most farmers think about it that way, Tony of, you know, I I can dry the grain out a little bit. That's that's pretty easy, but putting moisture back in, uh, it seems crazy, but you really Really can do it. Hey,
3: one of the things that I'm going to touch on drying the grain out a little bit. One of the big things with a, a bin fan control, on uh, all of us, when we're storing our grain, will overventilate the bottom if we don't have a control shut off. And putting a control on a bin so when the outside air is too dry, we turn that fan off so we do not start a new drying front on the bottom of our bin with dried corn in it we can keep that bin at 15% or whatever uh, moisture of grain you put it in there with very successfully. So on our uh, grain we've run through a dryer, we can hold the moisture. We don't need to lose it. And a, uh, what we call an end zone for corn is pretty cheap, uh, 2100 bucks, and you can protect that moisture in that bin. The, in a, on a 20,000 bushel, say 100,000 bushel bin, 20,000 bushels, three points of moisture, common loss is 54,000
0: pounds of corn weight. So That's a semi-load. Even with the markets dropping, it's still worth 5000 bucks. Yeah, yeah, that is a big deal, no doubt about that. Hey, one so comment we had. Oh, the, good, go ahead.
3: Yeah, and with the moisture, the, the other thing of uh, changing moisture in beans or wheat or grains like that can, that can take moisture on or release it, uh, you can if stuff's too dry, add moisture in. Uh, stuff's too wet, uh, take it out. And I, I remember one time I had a, uh, a bin. I had my beans to 13. And uh, if you get these really strong uh, 90 degree days with strong winds, 90 degree uh, days, those tops of bins are chimneys, and it uh, they'll suck a lot of air through the bin. And uh, the, my bottom sensor. I had lost moisture, and one of the things about beans is I thought, well, not a big deal. I'll just turn the control back on and, and put the moisture back into them. So it's, it's very much. You can put it in, take it out, and size your fans and components like that. Level your bin. People got to always level their bin, and uh, it happens
0: very, very efficiently. It's surprising how easy it is. Yeah, that's, that's what a lot of folks uh, have have sent into our show for feedback. They've, they've said it's really amazing how this works and how it wasn't that much work, and I made a bunch of money here that I was just losing. But Brian often says this, too. You don't really know that you're losing the money because you haul grain to town. There's a little dock on the thing, but you get a check at the end of the day and, you know, that phantom loss or, or a loss that you do see through a doc, if you're really watching those tickets, uh, it, it adds up pretty quickly. One of the things, Tony, that, that's come back though, feedback from growers who have been doing this, uh, guys have said, okay, be careful when you say 8% moisture and taking them up back up to 13 that if your bin is plumb full and you're going to put that much more moisture in, uh, that may not be the best move. Do you need to leave some headroom when you're going to be doing this, or, or how do you handle it? That's a, it's
3: a really, really good question. The, uh, I spent a bunch of time with an Iowa State engineer learning how that works, because everybody talks about the expansion of beans and the pressure it will create. And uh, what uh, I came away with, you put a round object in the container like a bean. Half of the container is filled with object, half is air. So we expand a beam, uh, we're expanding it into the airspace. And he said that conversation all works up until around 20 to 25 foot of grain depth. Uh, He said, you get up beyond 25 foot of grain depth, you are now causing some compaction at the bottom. And he said, 25 feet, is just starting. Don't really worry about it. He said, if you're going to like 30 feet, 33, 35, he said, don't expand them a lot. He said, three points of moisture, you're going to get by. But uh, don't uh, try to pump in six points. Take them from, um, from eight to uh, 13 or 14 for seed beans, something like that. The uh, the next thing that you got to be thinking about is you got a big 48-foot bin, and even though it's only 25 feet at the eave, you put a big pile on that thing, that center's probably 15 feet or more deep. You've now got 45 foot of grain depth in the center. Even if you core it out, you've caused compaction in the bottom of that. And uh, you need to be thinking about that because the first beans we're going to add moisture to is that compacted bottom in which you've pre-removed part of the airspace. The final thing in his comments is he said, if you ever split a bin, you're going to split a 40 to 60 foot bean bin that's where your problem is going to happen and it's not going to be the top it's going to be the bottom where you've generated uh, like on a 50 60 foot uh grain bin my understanding is there can be like as much as seven percent compaction and that's not to the core that's all at the bottom of the bin so if you stop and think about it, you've added that much grain to it but it's by removing the air from the very bottom and you've taken your opportunity to expand it so I always say for anybody doing this with beans, heist is not your friend for a couple of reasons. One is the fans don't work as effectively on moving the moist air past it. Second is that you are creating compaction that uh, could damage your bin if you add very much moisture to it. So maybe a little bit windy on my... uh, my answer to it, but that's a really good question.
0: No, there are a lot of questions and, and like you say, most of them revolve around, wow, that was so easy to take a point out or put a point back in and certainly those questions are great too. The other one that, that I've had, Tony, is is there still time to get set up? I've got a month, I've got six weeks. Is that enough time to get set up? Yes, yes. We can uh,
3: We get the monitors and the sensors going out. We can get those out fairly quick. Uh, we're probably, uh, we got a little bit of production right now. If somebody ordered an end zone real quick, there's a, a handful of them in the current production cycle that don't have names on them. Uh, the rest of them, uh, the next cycle is not going to be moving out until after uh, the uh, Labor Day weekend. The, so uh, it's uh, people coming in, and they buy them real quick, they'll get their names on this, just uh, a few that are left and uh, then they'll wait. But hey, even then, Labor Day weekend, uh, you get, we can get the monitors out quick, you get the sensors in, and then you get the fan control, uh, is gonna come in a few weeks after that. You just mount it right next to the monitors and you've got everything good to go, so yes. And we do, people in fact will go out and harvest and have grain that is uh, over-dried, and we've got a way to
0: put them into bins that are already full. Not convenient, but it works, uh, and we can get the job done. Yeah, then you just need to get so, your electrician yep. there to, to get everything hooked up and wired in. But automatic automatic bin fan controls are fantastic and can really help make you some money. Oftentimes you're seeing payback in a year or less. Uh, talking to Tony Wendler here, you can find Tony's contact info and more information about products as well at farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Appreciate the call. Thanks.
5: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. This season, get medieval on
4: Rhizectonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia. Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizicktonia with the powerful protection of Excalia.
1: Ask your retailer or visit valent.com Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions.
5: Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at Fuel.Closs.com for your chance to win ten thousand dollars in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Closs is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to Fuel.Closs.com, then check out the advanced
2: equipment at your local Closs dealer. That's Fuel.ClAas.com. When nematode pressure mounts, seed
3: applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference from early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield. Impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Elite Grower. Don't delay. Contest ends October 31st. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Learn more at newfarm.com USST.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin studio today talking about grain bin preparation. It's a very important job on the farm. You just get one chance to do it right before you put grain in there and you have so many more options before you fill that bin. So we're talking about that now, hopefully before you're harvesting so, you have time if there's any new information here or just reminders that you say, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. It's been a year since I had to do it. Maybe it's been a couple of years since you had to do it. Uh, you, you have time to get it done before harvest. Got Ken Hellevang on with us right now up at North Dakota State University. How you doing, Ken? Yep. Are you there, Ken?
6: Yep. Yep. I'm here.
0: We're talking about grain bin preparation today and, you know, boy, I think about in North Dakota how many different crops get harvested. We just can't take a chance that we're going to have a bug or any kind of problem in that grain bin.
6: That's right. Uh, When we talk about uh, preparing for storage, uh, you know, for years and years we've always talked about making sure that We clean out the bin completely uh, depending on how long we're going to store it. We might even be looking at uh, some type of uh, bin spray to try to repel insects. One of the areas that that may get overlooked is the underfloor area. Most of our bins today are going to have a uh, perforated floor or ductwork, and we need to make sure that, that we're cleaning those areas as well. Or particularly if we've had an insect infestation, making sure that that isn't a, a spot that the bugs are just sitting there waiting for the grain to come in.
0: Yeah, that's the last thing we want is to bring another meal <laughs> to all those bugs and let them explode through the bin. You're right. Those those little nooks and crannies in bins can, can create a problem. And uh, you're right. Bin floors, uh, absolutely. Great, great point. Great point.
6: Yeah, another thing too that is is part of grain storage today is to make sure that our aeration system is functioning, uh make sure that the the fan uh is operable and and many of our bins today have some type of control system on them uh just to verify that everything is is functioning and and ready to go to cool that grain as we look at storing into the winter.
0: You know, you mentioned temperature, and and I know temperature and moisture are two enemies for or potential enemies. But they, if you get those right, they could be allies for the grain. Uh, what are you looking at with temperature? Because I know a lot of folks listening would probably say, "Well, North Dakota, they're going to get ten below zero or even colder at some point during the winter. Won't it just cool down naturally?" But boy, some days it's it's ninety degrees when you're harvesting wheat in North Dakota, and but you're putting ninety degree temperature wheat into a bin, it's going to take a little effort to cool that down.
6: Right. Uh, And again, I remind everybody that uh, insects and and all of our pests like warm temperatures. And so our guideline is as outdoor temperatures cool in the fall, we need to be operating the aeration system to cool the grain. Uh, Kind of the rule of thumb has been whenever there's a 10 to 15 degree difference between grain temperature and average outdoor temperature, we should try to cool the grain down. And just a 10 degree drop in temperature roughly will double the the storage life of that grain. So cooling it down for the winter, uh, one of the issues that sometimes people debate back and forth is just how cold to get it. Uh, In our northern region, uh, I really recommend bringing the temperature down to just below freezing, something in that 20 to 30 degree temperature range uh, has a benefit because it it controls insects as well as enhancing the storability of the grain. And so um, periodically running the fan, even with corn, uh, we might be coming out of a dryer or any of our other crops falls conditions are, are fluctuating for us and so uh, making sure that we we get that grain cooled as quickly as we can is is critical
0: You know, we think about crops like sugar beets when literally harvest gets shut off when air temps are above 70 degrees. Is that a guideline where if you said, you know what, I'm hauling into town and they're just going to ship it right out, maybe haul into town during the day and maybe I bring it all home at night?
6: Yeah, temperature, uh, typically you mentioned the temperature and moisture concern uh we we look at both when we're trying to make those management decisions Uh, grain can handle 70 80 90 degrees just fine as long as it's dry Uh, if we're on the damp side then that becomes more of an issue but typically in our harvest conditions uh, we don't worry about it in the short term we harvest when we can and, and with the fans and other things are able to to control the environment the way we want it
0: you know once we've put grain into those bins ken there there are some new tools out there automatic levelers on the top of bins uh, lots of things to help keep farmers out of those bins i think that stuff is is potentially all really good bin safety is is always a big deal
6: absolutely Uh, grain uh, can be a hazard or the equipment that we're working with around the grain can be a hazard so we need to keep safety in mind Um, i always refer to all of these uh, devices as tools whether they're aeration controllers or bin levelers or whatever Um, and so we should make sure that we have the management skill personally to know whether that tool is doing what we want it to do. Uh, Leveling the bin is is very important. Uh, A lot of our farmers will go ahead and and fill the bin and then unload a couple loads uh, right after harvest to core that center part. That's just a a good idea uh, because that's where the fines and foreign material tend to accumulate. And so, Uh, again, understanding the reason why we're doing things, having the management skills, and then looking at these various devices as tools is, I think, our best approach.
0: Yeah, a lot of things to keep in mind here as you get those bins prepped and you care for the grain in those bins throughout the season. Talking with Ken Hellevang up at North Dakota State University. Uh, Ken, any last thoughts you want to leave us with? We really appreciate all the info today.
6: No, I guess just emphasize the uh, the need to make sure that we're applying the skills that we know. Um, I was just involved in a meeting earlier today, and we spent a lot of time talking about the, the production year, uh, but that all is, is a waste if we're not doing the storage and drying and management uh, after harvest. And so... Uh, that's just as important as producing the crop.
0: Yep, great words of advice. Again, talking with Ken Hellevang here up at North Dakota State University. Ken, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today.
6: You're very welcome.
0: You know, Brian, there's a lot of dollars going in these grain bins, and and I know – Uh, Tony Wendler earlier had said, well, some of the prices have fallen off a little bit. Even so, it's still a lot of money that we're putting in those grain bins. It's like having a savings account, except this savings account is subject to insects and subject to molds and moisture problems, and uh, it takes a little bit of work to take care of it.
1: Yeah, a little bit of work, but it's not like it's that bad, and the financial reward is often great because usually what we see is the basis of level is much wider at harvest time, and then it narrows up after that. And almost every year, when I personally get suckered into thinking, well, the basis is pretty narrow at harvest, let's just uh, let's just sell it right now, sure enough, we end up with positive basis later on. So the basis almost always improves, is what I'm trying to say as time goes on, which is why, like on our own farm, I mean, for years and years, we stored almost everything, just hauling it in right to the bin in the in the fall it also sped up harvest by the way and then we would haul it out later when the basis improved well we're going to get back to your questions in the ag phd mailbag coming up after this if you've got a question for us you can either give us a call 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email radio at agphd.com we'll be right back
2: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman, when there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers. Corn rootworms are called a billion-dollar bug for a
1: reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use.
2: Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Did you know 20% of stored corn is overventilated by three points of moisture? On 100,000 bushels, that's a whole semi-load. Stop this problem for as little as $2,100 per bin with the end zone for corn from Farm Shop MFG. Learn more at FarmShopMFG.com.
0: You're listening to ag phd radio We're broadcasting from the morton studio today taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844 44 ag phd if you've got pictures soil tests plant tissue tests uh, or things that you want to send us via email it's radio at agphd.com. it's exactly what jason did over in minnesota brian and i uh, got Some soil samples there, one from the north end of a field and another from the south, and then plant tissue tests taken around R3, and some pictures. So Jason said, all right, guys, I've got this field, I've had it since 2019. I planted it in oats, then a mix of alfalfa and grass, and in all those years it was hay. The north end always did fairly good, south end never grew as fast or as tall. Well, this spring I took the first crop off and then no-tilled soybeans into it and due to the lack of rain, the beans didn't germinate for about a month, so they're behind. Uh, A couple weeks ago, the southern end had a pronounced yellow hue on leaves just a couple of weeks ago. He said, I decided to get tissue samples and soil samples to see what's wrong. Uh, I know Brian's going to tell me there's a drainage issue and I would completely agree to that and tile is something that I want to get done out here. Uh, but my soil sample numbers are are kind of weird. The CEC on that south end is 76 and calcium through the roof. So something's something's off there. Wait, are you to...
1: talking to, – to, this is two different fields, center and hay? Uh, let's see. You gave me two things here because there's north and there's south and there's north and there's south. Is this the same field or is this different fields? Because – The the one this is back in 2021 and this says 2023. Okay. So is this the same field? Yep. Must be. Well, if it's the same field, then back then it said 28 for CEC. Yeah, I think it's the same field. Okay. So here's the thing, and this is why we talk so much about one acre soil test grids, or at least small grids or zones, because how big did he say these fields were? Did he say, or this field? No. Okay. Okay. So. So anyway, obviously it's a different spot in the field because – and the new test, it's twelve thousand nine hundred ninety parts per million of calcium. In the old test, it's four thousand one hundred eighty-eight. So you don't just magically end up with eight thousand more parts per million in a soil pH that was already high in the first place. I know you weren't putting lime. Well, that
0: out there. pH is quite different from one to the next too. On, uh, on one of those, it was 7. like a 8 five eight point two. That's oh, no big deal. But look but at five
1: point six to six point four. Yes, I will promise you. If you go out there and do one acre soil test grid. We're going to be dealing with dramatically different stuff all across the south half and all across the north half. Okay, let's go back to what his question was, and then let's try to answer that specific question.
0: What's, so what ca- What's causing the yellow leaves? Is something too high that's causing it? Is something too low? And what what could I possibly address going into corn for next year so I don't have a problem?
1: Okay, let's assume that he pulled the, soil, the new soil test on that end right in that spot— Yeah, there's a lot of excess lime. Okay, and that's the reason why I have 12,000 on the the cation, or sorry, on the parts per million, 12,990 on parts per million. It's just a whole bunch of free lime. You can flush that out with improving the drainage and sulfur, and you'll get that out of there over time. So I'm not that worried about that 10 years from now. But today, is excess lime going to cause some nutrient issues and some tie up? Sure it is. Plus, because of that, you're at 0.2% base saturation K. Now, the real percentage is probably closer to 08 or 1% or something like that. But, yeah, your K is just really, really, really low. Um, when you look at the tissue tests, uh, let's see. So the South and, and soybeans, let's see. Yeah, so it's showing low to deficient on K, but, it, well, actually both of them, both the North and the South, are showing low to deficient on K. But here's the thing: you're just gonna you're gonna end up getting tie up. You're gonna end up with problems, just like your iron's much lower in that area. Um, it it it's a factor of the pH and all that excess lime that's sitting out there in that spot. So. When when you look at things like this, you get worried about stuff and you go, oh my goodness, and this is the end of the world and stuff like that. That's where we like seeing the one-acre grids. Like, okay, let's say it's a quarter section. How many acres are we really talking about here that have this ridiculously high amount of excess lime and need the drainage fix and everything else? Hopefully, it's a small amount of acres. So I'm not that worried about it, but... It's just one of those things where you got to invest some money in potassium. I mean, you got 68 parts per million on K out there. And I don't care if we're talking corn, soybeans, alfalfa. I don't care what crop it is. You need way, way, way more potassium than that. Plus, here's the next thing. Your magnesium is also real high in that area. You want your magnesium parts per million to be roughly 2 to 1 or 1 to 1 compared to potassium. Right now, it's like... I can't even do the math that fast, but 30, 40 to one. I mean, it's just, it's, it's way, way out of whack. So you're going to end up with high magnesium in the plant, which is exactly what I see here. I, I, I'm saying this before I even looked at your tissue test. I don't even need to, I already know what the answer is. Your magnesium is going to be very heavily expressed and your potassium is not because your ratio is off. So that's just a simple thing. Uh, So you got to get that fixed you've got to get potassium out there and you've got to get phosphorus out there you're at 20 25 parts per million that's not going to cut it that's on a Malik 3 not on an Olson test if it was an Olson test I'd go well maybe it's not that bad but a Malik 3 is kind of like a strong Bray test so at a minimum at a bare minimum you need to be at 100 parts per million in in my estimation so you, you, you got to get your P and K out there so you take care of those two things that's going to get you a good start Next, you got to start looking at sulfur. I'd be trying to get more sulfur out there. So, ammonium sulfate, Um, anything with salt or elemental sulfur, just start working on sulfur over time, but get the drainage fixed. And then, yeah, you've got some of the micros you got to take care of. You need more, at least on the north half, you need more boron, more copper, more zinc, stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know for sure what the cause of the yellowing
0: is. We're, oh, we're really low in fertility. Right. And, we're really low in fertility. You know, I wonder about the drainage part too yep. of you know, if you need tile, and, just get the tile in and yep. get get that done. Get those main lines in as soon as you can and get some laterals run you know, this fall yet too. And once you do that, you're going to set yourself up where you've got more oxygen in the soil. It's going to allow our plants to grab nutrients easier. Our microbes are going to be healthier. Your soil health will be much better. Those things will be good. And then on the fertility side, I know Brian throws out some numbers that look, this is where we want to build too. And that's great, but you got to make money. So I understand you say, well, I can only spend so much this year, but I am going to do a build program. Just take a one or two passes on one end of the field, and make an extra pass, and just see. You know, all right, I can build up to thirty p- parts per million this year, not a hundred. Yeah, but then see, on the end a, of the field, go double it up. Yeah, but and see what you can do. That's get.
1: exactly why I want small grids out there because I think you've got some areas that aren't bad. And I think you have some areas that you got to spend no, That's a great money.
0: point. That's a great
1: point. So rather than saying, well, let's do this and try that and everything else, how about let's get a little more scientific about it? Do one acre soil test grids. It doesn't cost that much. And and then, okay, if you've got X number of dollars for that field, first of all, I'd probably double it. And then I would stick it where it really needs to go in the worst areas. And let's make the improvements. Let's get her done. So here's the other way that I always look at things. Okay, we farm 3,500 crop acres. If I've got an 80 that's got a problem, I don't really care what I spend because I'm averaging it over the whole 3,500 acres. So, yeah, I don't know your situation. I don't know what you can afford or anything else. Darren's right. We don't want you going bankrupt in the short term to make some long-term fix that somebody else is going to now benefit from. But, I mean, this is a classic field where we've got some good areas, but we have some bad areas that you just have to invest some money in, and I think it could be great over time. Because honestly, um, you got heavy soil. And for a lot of people, that's a big deal. I, I mean, where you know that over time, it's going to be good, even in a drought year like like we're having this year on our farm. Great. And the other thing about it, you got five, or it, it, what your old uh, test showed was 5% organic matter. This new test shows 5.9% organic matter. Most people around the country would kill to have that soil. Just invest some money in it. Make it great. That's my advice.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. And, and, yeah, as you're building, as you're working on fixing that ground, or as you pull more extensive soil samples, we would love to take a look. We'd love to help out in any way that we can. So uh, please don't, don't be afraid to send those samples back in and, and ask some more questions. If you have an agronomic question for us, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD and we'll be right back.
4: Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucinto fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works over time for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control
5: in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details.
2: Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot com. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a
3: John Deere compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB summer blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at Deerequipment.com.
2: From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com.
0: back you're listening to ag phd radio we're broadcasting from the morton studio today and taking your calls and questions at 844 44 ag phd i uh, get this one in from matt from illinois he said we have red crown rot in our area in our soybeans and i was wondering what i can do to not get this disease in the future and further information it seems to be on our earliest planted beans, the worst. And it's also showing up worse in areas that had compaction and end rows and areas where we enter the field, those kinds of things. Hey, I got good news for you, Matt. Uh, Saltro has recently added red crown rot to the label in Illinois and several other states. I, I just saw something in the end of July. Uh, so you can use Saltro when you're treating your soybean seed up and much like it does with sudden death syndrome, Uh, it it protects that plant. It's been very good on sudden death. I have not seen visually trials with red crown rot, but Uh, They've got trial data on red crown rot, too. So that's pretty exciting to see. Now, a couple other things. Obviously, when it's wet early in the season, we have more chance for disease to get in. So sudden death, kind of the same type of thing, gets in early uh, and then shows up in the reproductive stages when that toxin moves up in the plant. So delaying planting, could that help? Sure, but improving drainage so you don't have those excessive moisture conditions at planting would be a better solution, lead to higher yields as well. And earlier planting on soybeans has been the trend, the reason why guys are seeing more yield by planting early. So I know with SDS, the trial work would show you, yes, delaying planting reduces SDS, but it reduces yield so much more on the areas that aren't getting SDS that it's not worth it. The other thing I would say is managing nematodes and any root feeding insects is a big deal. So for example, like on our farm, we've been using nematode resistant beans, which I get it. Those traits are not working as well as they used to. But we're also putting insecticide on at planting time, and that's really helped with some of those problem bugs. So you can do those types of things. You could rotate away to corn for at least a couple of years. That reduces pressure. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, but Saltro seems to be the one solution that, hey, if I just add that to my seed treatment, uh, I, I'm going to do so much better on red crown rot. Okay, let me
1: give you a little background on red crown rot, because if you're listening today, you may go, what? I'm not, I'm not familiar with red crown rot. I don't have it on my farm. There aren't a lot of areas that do have it. It's gotten much worse in Illinois here in just the last few years. So, if I go back to 2018, for example, didn't see a lot, but now we're seeing it in most counties in Illinois. Anyway, it was first detected in soybeans in 1972 in the United States. So, it's been around for a while. It's it's a soil borne fungal disease that causes root and crown rot. Usually shows up late, like after R3 or once beans start potting, but infection occurs early during warm and wet periods. Um, It's more common in low, wet, poorly drained soil, so that's why Darren was talking about fixing the drainage. If you do that, a lot of times that helps a lot. It looks similar to sudden death syndrome and brown stem rot. So right away, you may think, oh, I just have sudden death syndrome, or maybe it's brown stem rot, whatever. Well, if you look closely on that stem, you, you will probably see a red fungus. So it looks a little bit different once you look close. It overwinters even in cold soils and can survive in soil for years without a crop host, but uh, if you rotate away for at least a couple years, generally speaking, most of the problem goes away. So we talked about fixing drainage. We talked about using some Saltro. Um, We've also seen that Alevo has been reducing the impact of red crown rot, but here's the thing. With both Saltro and Alevo, part of it very well could be our little reduction in soybean cyst nematode. What we're finding is if you reduce SCN pressure, then it also seems like there's a little bit less red crown rot. So here's the thing. If you're really worried about it in the future, like I say, the the best method is just quite frankly, in addition to fixing drainage, plant a non-host crop like corn for a couple years. And then hopefully the next time you go back to beans should be a lot less of a problem.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, get this one in, and this is uh, a big question, really, uh, from Bala, who says, could you guys please give me a spray schedule for fertilizer and plant growth hormones based on the crop stage we're in for soybeans? Hey, uh, thanks for the question. You know, Obviously, uh, I'll just add a couple more things to your question. Uh, crop protection, you've got to do that well. So make sure you're starting off with a pre-emerge herbicide where you can. On uh, soybeans, if you want to set yourself up for the best potential yields, so if you've got a lot of weeds out there, uh, it's going to make it tough for that crop to compete for sunlight, for water, and for nutrients. So with fertilizer, I would first suggest download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. Then you can look at what you're going to need for, for what yield you're targeting. And obviously your soils and the amount of rainfall that you get will change the timing you may want to put some nutrients out. For example, with boron. If you're in heavy soils and you don't get much rain, you can put a bunch of boron out up front. If you're in very sandy soils and you have a lot of rain, you may have to wait with that boron and put a little bit out multiple times during the season. Okay, that said, uh, let me start with the hormones. Uh, We use MegaGrow, which would be a combination of IBA and kinetin. That can be used in-furrow to improve the root growth early, and we've seen some good gains on that. There's almost 20 years of data supporting that. We just had a guest on our show yesterday, Temple Rhodes, was saying, I use MegaGrow in-furrow on every crop. Uh, It is a patented glyphosate safener. We definitely use it when we're putting out herbicide applications during the year, speaking about MegaGrow again, and we use that during the vegetative stages. Once we reach those reproductive stages, we aren't as much focused on Building more root growth. We're more focused on keeping all the flowers, improving uh, that pollination process with pollen viability and those types of things and supporting chlorophyll and sugar production. We use a product called inertia as a plant growth hormone, which contains cytokinin, choline chloride and GABA. And we'd apply that early in the reproductive stages like R1 or R2. Uh, in terms of fertility, again, we're going to start with that fertilizer removal app and make sure we're at least putting out what that crop is going to remove. Uh, one of the big fertility components we get questions on in soybeans is, do I need to add more nitrogen? If it's the first time you're raising beans or you haven't raised beans for very many years, soybeans are a legume crop and it takes a little time for uh, those be- beneficial bacteria to build up in the soil. We do suggest inoculating the beans. Uh, to, to improve nodulation, but then if you're in a real high-yield environment, 70 bushel soybeans or more per acre, then we would suggest you, you probably need to add some more nitrogen somewhere in the early reproductive stages around R1 to, at the latest, R3. Uh, other things you want to add, Brian, on fertility for soybeans <laughs> and timing?
1: Well, no, uh, I We could talk <laughs> for the next hour on, well, we could actually talk for the rest of the day on that topic, sure, so sure. no, let's just move no, on and no, go to the next No, but definitely,
0: question. definitely look back at at previous Ag PhD episodes. You can can yeah, we check put that a out, lot of information out there. and and see about specifically about fertilizing soybeans. Got this one in from PD out in in Idaho, and he said, "Guys, you were talking to somebody." who was going to use a weed wick or a weed wiper. I'm just kind of curious, do guys still use those? Should we be bringing those back into production? And have you ever seen the new ones now that are using electricity? And Petey sent us a link to watch that uh, with electricity. I don't know if I want to have a weed wiper with electricity (laughs) out there or not, but uh, I guess if I was in organic production and that was my best option, I'd try and figure out how to make that work perhaps.
1: Yep, for sure. So yes, we have seen those. Uh, <laughs> you see the sparks when they hit a weed and I, I, I don't know how effective that is, how that's going to work. I, I'm not really sure. But yeah, there aren't many people using the old weed wick or weed wiper anymore. And, and I want you to think about this. The only way that works is if the weeds are taller than the crop. So in other words, we've already lost, we've already failed, we've already suffered massive yield hit, and now we're killing the weeds. So is it good? Sure. It's, it's not quite what we would call a revenge kill because you're hopefully going to still prevent stuff from going to seed, so it should help you in the future. But a lot of your yield damage from this year has already been done. So we're really going to encourage people do something pre-emerge. Or here's one other thing that we really need to talk more about increasing planting populations and narrowing up row spacings. I will promise you if you put any crop in 7 inch or 10 inch rows, you're going to get way better weed control than if you plant a lower population and plant in 30 or 38 inch rows. So just one of the cultural practices that a person can do without even using a herbicide or a weed wick.
0: Yeah, one of the biggest takeaways from 2023's crop production season has been we've got to get after weeds earlier in the year and get them under control quicker because I know we talk a lot about weed resistance, but many times we're way off-label spraying weeds that are way too big. We have no business expecting that herbicide to get them under control. Thanks for the question and thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.